0: On a sunny February day last year, a 25-year-old man named Ahmad Arbery decided to go for a jog. Margaret Coker has spent a lot of time thinking about that day. She's the editor of an investigative news outlet in Georgia.
1: He had actually put a load of laundry into the washer. He had put together a plate of leftovers and was going to have it for lunch when he came back from his run. But he didn't have a chance to do that.
0: Arbery was Black. His jog took him through a part of town that was mostly white, and three men saw him running. They grabbed their guns, and what happened next was captured on cell phone footage that went viral last year.
1: Three white men are in vehicles chasing down a man. They are not law enforcement. They never identified themselves as that, but they kept shouting for him to stop.
0: Arbery was unarmed. He had not committed a crime but Greg McMichael, his son, Travis McMichael, and their neighbor, William Bryan, who are all white, they say they thought that he was stealing.
1: They pursued him. Then there's several shots fired. Ahmed Arbery falls to the ground and he is fatally wounded and dies. This week,
0: the trial began for those three men. This trial hinges in part on a citizen's arrest law that was on the books for 150 years. That law was repealed earlier this year. But it's still a part of a judicial system that for so long turned a blind eye to this kind of killing. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Thursday, October 21st. Today, the trial of the three men who killed Ahmad Arbery.
1: Began on Monday morning, and it has been a long time coming. For everyone who doesn't live in Georgia, you should understand that criminal jury cases were suspended last year because of COVID restrictions across the state. And so it has taken a really long time for this to happen. While George Floyd's murder case was adjudicated, we've been waiting for a very long time. Ahmed Arbery's family has been waiting even longer, of course. So there are three defendants, and they all uh, are neighbors they all have been in jail awaiting trial as well. There's about 50 demonstrators who have been outside since about 8.30, also the start of this week. Yes, they- They are a group of women, um, mostly black women, who have come in from out of town in order to show support for Ahmed Aubrey's family and also to help continue to raise awareness about what they see is a racially motivated killing.
0: So, these three men, what are they now being charged with?
1: In Georgia, they're being charged with felony murder, attempted kidnapping, and several other charges. In Georgia, there is still the death penalty, but the prosecutor is not going for a death sentence here. Murder would carry a mandatory life in prison. And separately, outside of these state charges, there's a federal hate crimes um, case that will be adjudicated next year. So you said
0: that jury selection started this week. What are the challenges of selecting a jury for a trial that is going to be so high profile and that a lot of people have a lot of feelings around?
1: Yeah, it's it's tough in a smaller town um to find people who have never heard of this murder trial or the murder case itself. So the judicial system of course has been under a spotlight in the way in which that the case was investigated in the first 2 months after Barbery was killed. But then also several DAs have been involved. The local DA immediately recused herself. A second DA then had to recuse himself. A third and now a fourth DA's office is in charge of the case. A judge who's overseeing the case is actually coming from the Savannah area judicial circuit because all of the judges in Glen County recused themselves as well.
0: And why are they recusing themselves? Why have so many DAs and officials had to step away
1: from this case? Originally, in terms of the DAs, Greg McMichael, one of the suspects, he was the longtime investigator for the Brunswick Area District Attorney's Office. He also was a former law enforcement for the Glen County Police. Hmm. The second DA who recused himself, a man named George Barnhill, his son also worked in the District Attorney's Office and also knows Greg McMichael. Hmm. Then the third-hand DA who, who was given the case by the Attorney General of Georgia, That woman actually was voted out of office last year in the November elections. And so it remains that uh, county DA's office, just a separate DA, who's the fourth person who is in charge of the case now. In terms of the judge, the judges in the Glenn County area of judicial circuit also know Greg McMichael. Wow. He has spoken as a witness in so many criminal cases over the years because of his position as a DA investigator. So because there's such a spotlight on the case, I mean, by the time that the arrests were made in the case, most people in America had heard of the cell phone video or had seen the cell phone video. The governor of Georgia, who's Republican, he called it horrific. I think even President Trump at the time called it disturbing. And so the state Georgia Bureau of Investigation uh, took over the investigation of the case. They brought the arrests in. There's a lot of different controversies here about accountability in local law enforcement, let alone how are you going to be able to impanel the jury who is able to hear the evidence in a fair and unbiased manner. And it's why they started this trial is taking so long. Glen County has called up 600 residents in order to put all of them through a very wide sieve to try and find people who can be impartial in this case.
0: It seems like there is so much that is riding on the outcome of this trial. Obviously, the fates of the three defendants and certainly justice for the family of Ahmaud Arbery. But I'm wondering beyond that, what do you think is at stake in this trial? What's riding on it?
1: You know, Brunswick, uh, the Black community of Brunswick, has been marginalized for a very long time in terms of the overarching power structures of the county. So what this trial means for the county as a whole is who gets a voice in demanding accountability how power structures and how politicians respond to emotion and and demands of a significant part of society there, and how this community is going to heal after 18 months of figuring out whether, like, who they are, who they are as a society. Are they racist? Are they tolerant? And are they good neighbors? After the break, the
0: Civil War era law that codified white vigilante violence for decades and is now a flashpoint in this trial. We'll be right back.
1: Hey there.
0: What has changed in Georgia since Arbery's death?
1: Yeah, people in Brunswick are taking a lot of solace and pride for the amount of change that they've seen over the last 18 months. While they've been waiting for this trial to start, the state of Georgia has had its own racial reckoning. And... There was the revocation of the state's citizens arrest law that allowed private people to detain anyone that they thought was in commission of a felony. This is part of the Mm. defense that the defendants in the Arbery murder trial are going to have, that they were trying to to detain someone who was a burglar. Can you tell me a
0: little bit more about that law? Because I remember hearing a lot about it at the beginning after these three individuals were arrested, and it seems like— For many people, a pretty um, hard to fathom piece of legislation that you can just arrest your neighbors for whatever
1: you want. Well, that's actually the misperception. You actually couldn't, by law, arrest your neighbors for whatever you wanted. Hmm. But that citizen's arrest law came up into, you know, state criminal codes at the time of the Civil War and Reconstruction. And so, in fact, the racist origins of the law are pretty clear to people who lived in Georgia.
0: And what did the law actually allow you to do? Like, what was the letter of the law in terms of how it allowed citizens to perform arrests?
1: what the law allowed someone to do was to detain a person that they could see with their own eyes or had um, sufficient cause to uh, believe that a felony was being committed. Um, Burglary, shoplifting, It's something that is not used very often in the state of Georgia at all, but it remained on the books for over 150 years. And the justification for keeping it on the books was if a small store owner saw someone shoplifting and uh, they needed to or wanted to try to keep someone inside their store until a policeman arrived or a policewoman arrived, that would be the law that they could invoke in order to allow that to happen in this year long investigation that me and my news organization have been involved in, we've been trying to document how many times in Georgia a citizen's arrest, a private person's arrest has been invoked. And it's incredibly rare. I mean prosecutors around the state sort of struggle to find a time when it when it actually was used or that there was a case that was brought after a citizen's arrest was used. So it is incredibly rare, but it is incredibly symbolic at a time when Georgia's demographics are changing, where there are more majority Black towns in Georgia, where there's majority Black counties in Georgia, and when, again, the entire state is having a conversation about a racial reckoning. And what was the process of getting that law repealed? So the cell phone video that helped us all understand the real tragedy of this killing was an incredible motivating force.
0: Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Before we begin our weekly briefing, I want to take some time to address the ongoing investigation involving Ahmad Aubrey's death in Glenn County. Earlier this week I watched a video depicting Mr. Aubrey's last moments alive. I can tell you it's absolutely horrific. And Georgians deserve answers.
1: The governor of the state, Brian Kemp, saw the video and had a public press conference denouncing it, calling it horrific. The attorney general then was called in immediately to try and figure out how there was a failure of law enforcement to hold anyone responsible over two months after the killing had happened when the evidence seemed quite clear about what exactly went on then. And so the state Republican Party took this up as a symbolic cause. They decided that this was going to be in a time and a place in an election year where race was a huge factor, that this was going to be um, a piece of legislation that the Republican Party could stand behind. And so it was revoked almost unanimously.
0: And with that, we're going to sign this bill. Thank you very much.
1: At the same time, there was another huge legislative victory in that Georgia also passed, co-sponsoring between Republicans and Democrats, a statewide hate crimes law. Georgia had not had something like that on the books up until last year.
0: So the citizen's arrest law has now been repealed, but I assume that because this is about what happened before it was repealed, that this law still applies as part of this case. So I'm wondering for these three defendants, like, what is the argument that their defense is going to make about why they were justified?
1: To them, um, I mean, it's interesting that the reason why the cell phone video was released, it came out for the first time on a local radio station that has a very active Facebook page. And the cell phone video was released by one of the defendant's lawyers because they thought that the cell phone video would actually prove that there was no racial animus here and that there was hmm. just a self-defense issue at play. This is the point of view taken by the first and second DAs who recused themselves, but had firm feelings that there was no criminal intent and no crime had, was committed after reviewing that cell phone video.
0: What what argument could they make about that video that they think shows that there was self-defense happening?
1: there was a perception in the neighborhood, it's called Satilla Shores. There was a perception among Satilla Shores residents that their neighborhood was under threat. The McMichaels and William Bryan say that there had been a string of robberies in advance of this fateful day, February 23rd. And so they were on the lookout for people who were threatening them. And so when they called 911, the McMichaels lawyers say, the McMichaels were trying to stop a crime from being committed, a crime that probably was in their head because, of course, when police came to the scene of the killing, Ahmed Aubrey was not carrying a gun, nor was he carrying any stolen goods. And so we get back to the letter of the law, the citizen's arrest law in Georgia. Of course, this is up for a judge and a jury to decide in this case, but experts in criminal law in Georgia say that the only reason that you could uh, possibly use this in, in your defense, the citizen's arrest law, is that you had like, visual evidence of a crime being committed, and because there was no evidence of Ahmed Aubrey having any stolen property on him, that seems to be a legal defense that, you know, seems tenuous at best.
0: You know, I I think that many people looked at the trial of Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd earlier this year, thinking that it was this defining moment for the country in terms of holding police accountable for killing Black men. But in some ways, I feel like this case says so much more about the history of white vigilantism in America and whether or not we view that differently, whether there is more justice for those types of events now. I guess for you, do you see this as a test trial or do you see this as, as more of an outlier?
1: It's a really important question. And I think that there is, here in coastal Georgia, it is definitely seen as a test, not just in Glen County, but in all the counties along the coast, because there's a big news vacuum here. You know, this is a um, hundred miles of a part of Georgia that is nowhere actually near the the capital. Atlanta is four and a half hours away by car. And there is little to no local media here. There is little to no accountability. And uh, what we at The Current have tried to do over the last year in an investigative project is to find out exactly if this killing of Ahmed Aubrey is an outlier or not, or whether there is cause to, to suspect, as many Black people in Brunswick believe, that law enforcement is implicitly biased against them, that Black lives actually don't matter as much as white lives, and that the judicial system has treated them wrongly and unfairly for a very long time there has been little to no avenue for residents of Glen County to find any satisfaction, even in civil court, because Georgia is a state where the legal statute of qualified immunity is protected, which means that individual police officers and police departments can't actually be sued in civil cases for uh, actions that were committed on the job. And so when you have a DA who has declined to prosecute individual police officers when there's been suspicious deaths that have not resulted in any disciplinary action within local law enforcement and when these civil lawsuits are basically a closed avenue for you there is little to no accountability and that grinds a community down. You know, what the community and I think the state at large is really going to be waiting to see is whether a verdict comes back that satisfies them, that justice will be done. And of course, that's going to be an open question for weeks to come. That
0: was Margaret Coker. She's covering the trial for The Post in Georgia, and she's the editor of the nonprofit investigative news organization, The Current. You can find their reporting at thecurrentga.org. We'll also have a link in our show notes and at postreports.com. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show is produced by Emma Talkoff and mixed by Ted Muldoon. The kind of reporting that we do, bringing you the latest from Georgia and around the world, is only possible because of our subscribers. If that's you, thank you so much. And if not, I hope you consider subscribing to The Washington Post. Right now, you can try The Post for just a dollar a week, which gets you unlimited access to everything we publish. Learn more at WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.